Welcome to the Bike Talk with Dave podcast. I'm your host, Dave Mabel, and I appreciate you tuning in to this weekly podcast variety show about all things bike. Fat tires, skinny tires, racing, touring, the equipment and events, the places to ride, and of course, the people who make it happen. Every episode available on Apple, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and wherever you get your podcasts. And now, some of the more popular past episodes and all new episodes are available to stream on the Bike Talk with Dave channel on YouTube. How fun is that? Now, how about this week's show with Jay Bush? I've been riding and racing for a long time, more than 40 years. And one thing that's been abundantly clear is that cycling is astoundingly white. I did some digging for actual stats and everything I found confirms what I can see with my own eyes. More than 80% of competitive cyclists are white and I'm sure that recreational cycling is right up there too. And the 16 or 17% that are not white are mostly split between black, Hispanic, and Asian. And as you likely know, I live in Des Moines, in Iowa, in the Midwest. Not a ton of cultural diversity here, but definitely not a ton of diversity in the Peloton. However, there has been one dude showing up on group rides for a couple of years now and is starting to make his mark sprinting for the finish line at local races. I've gotten to know him a bit better this year, most notably when he came chasing from behind after I'd been dropped on a group ride, and together we worked hard to close the gap to the group, finally catching them before the last fast stretch of our ride. Of course, he stuck it and he stayed with the group, and me and my 58 years got dropped pretty quickly after making the effort to close the gap. Regardless, it was a great connection with what I have found to be a super nice guy. And at a post-morning ride breakfast a week or so later, I asked if he'd come on the pod to talk about the environment and challenges of being black and making your way deep into the peloton. We also discuss how we can make cycling a more welcoming and diverse sport. So now, without further ado, I'd like to introduce you to my new friend, Jay Bush. Jay Bush, welcome to Bike Talk with Dave. This is actually Bike Talk with Dave. Our last episode was Book Talk with Shelby. Okay. So we're doing Bike Talk with uh, with Dave and Jay. Sweet. It's awesome. Thanks for coming on, man. Yeah. yeah I appreciate thank it. You. Thank you. Um, so, I don't know, background, uh, I think... Last year, did we start riding together? We joined in group rides last year. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah so yeah. last year rode a bit with you. I didn't even know your name. I didn't know your name until this year. That's how bike racing is, though. You're in the group, and it's right. like, uh, who's uh, you know, John was there. Who's John? Yeah. Well, he's on the orange trek. With right. The, you know, and he wears the you know red helmet. Or oh, that guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've ridden with him for five years. I didn't know his name. How many people are like that? Which is super funny, but. Anyway, I really got to know you, I don't know, a month ago, got dropped on the REI ride oh, going yeah. up the hill, and yeah, you came yeah. from behind and uh, towed me all the way back to the group, and 
true camaraderie. Yeah, it was true camaraderie, yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I have to give, I think I came through twice. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Maybe three pulled. times. Yeah. I pulled a little bit. Oh, no. I gave you a break here yeah, and there. Yeah. But you did have to slow down and let me buy. I know. <laughs> anyway, you're super strong, super fast. Um, and I got to say, and one of the reasons you're here is because you're also super black. Yes. You're, you're a black dude and uh, yes, yes. living in, um, I don't know, I feel like cycling is about as whitewashed as you get. Um, uh, as a former runner, it's probably on par with uh, endurance running. You think? It's it's comparable, I guess. There are a lot of Kenyans. I think For that's sure. the difference. I mean, definitely the front of endurance running is yeah, black. Right. But right. I don't know about the, the other 99%. But in the You're Midwest, right. in the Midwest, I went to high school in the Midwest. And, you know, most of the elite endurance athletes, male or female, in the Midwest are certainly not overwhelmingly black, I would say. True that. True that. Um, I was just like, I literally just opened outside magazine today and when we were on a rain delay for our ride this morning, uh, it's an article reprinted from 2018, um, an essay by Latria Graham, who has, I think become a regular contributor for outside magazine, but they dug this up from five years ago and, uh, I don't know. I thought of you when I read this because I, like I said, I literally read this this morning. But it says when I type "black people don't" into Google, <laughs> statements like "black people don't like to work" and "black people mm. don't like to travel" show up. Mm. Uh, yeah. Um, uh, when I add "camp," I get a Guardian article called "Why Don't Black People Camp." And blackamericaweb.com, a news site for African Americans, features a list of 22 things black folks don't do. Number two is go camping or hiking. Number seven is go to national parks. Later comes swim. And a little further down the list is eat tofu. To be honest, I dug up that article and it doesn't really exist. I couldn't find it on my phone, but I feel like cycling especially bike racing, might be on that list. It, uh, potentially. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. But you're definitely one of the only black dudes that, uh, that ride with us on a regular basis in Des Moines. Yeah. And um, you're a great dude, like great smile, super fun, love having you show up. It's always a treat when you show up. Um, and I want to talk about what led you into cycling. But first, what led you to Des Moines? Where are you from and how did you end up here? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So... Um, I'm originally from the south side of Chicago, um, born and raised. Cubs uh, or Sox? Or do I'm you not care? A, yeah, I'm not a baseball fan, but no? uh, my dad is a huge Sox fan. And as a south sider, I guess that's where my allegiance is supposed to lie. So I guess I'll go with the White Sox. Although <laughs> you if either less. team wins, I guess I'm pretty excited. I don't think I've watched a baseball game uh, since... Uh, Sammy Sosa played. Oh, wow. Moises Alou. It's been a long time. That's a couple weeks ago. (laughs) So, um, grew up in Chicago. Um, My dad, uh, my parents actually, mom and dad actually, uh, both from Chicago. My dad uh, moved to Iowa on a baseball scholarship uh, at Loris College. Oh, cool. Um, 
So I find it ironic that you're not a baseball fan. Yeah, I know. It, it's. I think it still pains my dad to this day that I could care less about baseball. I don't think. I honestly don't think I've ever watched the full game, um, even as a kid. There are long games. You could be riding for three hours. Yeah, it's just not not my speed. But uh, yeah, my dad uh, uh, had a baseball scholarship, uh, which took him from Chicago, uh, where he was born as well as my mother, uh, to Iowa, to Dubuque, Iowa, right on the nose there. Um, And uh, he never left. He uh, moved to Dubuque uh, sometime in the 90s, I would imagine, and uh, still lives there today. So, um, I was raised uh, largely by my mom in Chicago. I stayed in Chicago, but obviously I would visit my dad in the summers and um, a, a lot throughout the year. And uh, when I was starting high school, so about 14 years old, my parents thought it would be uh, best for me to move uh, to Iowa to start my uh, uh you know, young adult life, uh, certainly young academic life uh, in Iowa. Huh. So, how did you feel about that? Um, not good at all. No, it was pretty bad. It's very quite the shock <laughs> to move. I mean, junior high is pretty formative years. Right, did you have right. a group of friends and oh yeah, uh, well yeah. settled there? Yeah, best friends, uh, extremely settled. So it was a. Uh, it was obviously uh, quite uh, obviously a cultural shock, uh, but yeah, from a developmental standpoint, uh, you know, I had lifelong friends that I, I left behind, really, uh, you know, because of a decision my parents came to, which, you know, 14-year-old me, difficult to uh, think through the many scenarios and that and, and the whys and uh, those sorts of things. But nonetheless, that's, you know, kind of... Uh, what brought me to Iowa? And those are the cards you're dealt, so you're gonna play that. <laughs> those hand, are right? the cards you're dealt. So yeah, yeah, moved to moved to Iowa when I was 14, uh, and I guess just like my dad, I've never left. I've been here ever since. So I don't mind that they brought you here because, yeah. like I said, it's a treat to have you show up on the group rides. Yeah. yeah. Um, so you went to high school in Dubuque. Yeah. Did you do. Uh, Post, what do they call it? Secondary? College, you go to college? College, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So moved to Dubuque at 14. Um, uh, obviously struggled very much uh, my freshman year. Uh, but maybe very much like the uh, story of my life, I, you know, ended up uh, making a lot of friends. Um, I uh, <laughs> married my homecoming date as the homecoming king. Stop my it. high school. So I kind of went from... Uh, a bit of an outsider to, um, you know, somebody that, uh, you know, got the, the pleasure of meeting a lot of good people uh, in in Dubuque, uh, really ingratiating myself uh, as an Iowan, which I now Ooh. proudly claim. <laughs> wow. Um, but yeah, yeah. So uh, four years in Dubuque, um, went to the University of Northern Iowa initially on a track scholarship or as a walk on. I'm sorry. Uh, as a. A middle distance athlete. So, so eight, eight, four hundred, and the long jump were uh, what I was a uh, semi semi talented enough to be a a, a state uh, or, or competitor. You know, here at Drake in state, which is uh, the only time I had ever been to Des Moines prior to moving here. Um, but 
Yeah, went to UNI initially, very young, 17. Uh, really just uh, uh, as, a, as an athlete, not too much uh, focus on academics. I was a pretty middling student. Um, uh, never really found my, uh, uh, I think, academic identity, as my wife uh, refers to it as. But, I mean, uh, I can kind of relate to that, actually. Yeah. I went to UNI as well. Now, what UNI gave me was... Uh, a beautiful bride, yeah, and uh, I'll always take that. But yeah, academically, I'm not really doing what uh, what I studied. Studied? I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> I was actually I'll a broadcast major at UNI. Really? For a little well, bit. You should be doing this podcast. I what know, am I doing? I, I was a recreation major, oh, which yeah. maybe we could say this has something to do with recreation. But that's funny. Um, yeah, this is a great combination for both of our majors. That's kind of funny. Yeah, I had a radio station and everything. Wow, uh, dude, that's awesome. Uh, for a little bit, you and I, uh, they're in the student union in the basement. I think uh, my mom and grandmother were the only calls I ever fielded. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, a pretty short tenure at UNI, about a year and a half, two years. And uh, ultimately ended up uh, moving back home to Dubuque. Uh, and, uh, you know trying to find my way. I uh, actually left school for two years, I think, about two and a half years maybe. Uh, really just trying to, you know, uh, find a future. Uh, so in the interim, I, uh, I worked uh, at Hormel Foods. Oh, wow. Um, so I worked in manufacturing for, yeah, about two and a half years, driving forklift, doing some, uh, we'll call it uh, quality control type roles. You weren't on the meatpacking line or anything? No. That's hard work, man. No, I actually, uh, maybe interesting or not interestingly enough, I used to um, make thousand pound batches of Hormel completes was my role. Wow. <laughs> so... So I know what's in, unfortunately, in a Hormel spaghetti bowl uh, still haunts me. I'm not going to ask. Yeah. I'm not going to ask. Yeah. Well, this, yes. this podcast is not sponsored by oh, Hormel. Oh, yeah, by the good folks at Hormel. And may never be. <laughs> um, so, never yeah, mind. yeah never two mind. and a half years of driving in and out of a, a, a meat freezer and really trying to find my way. Did you uh, continue running? No. No. No, no. Uh, very much lost touch with... Uh, uh, although I mentioned earlier, I met my my uh, wife now uh, in high school as mm -hmm. a uh, my a homecoming uh, date. Uh, we were not uh, seeing each other at this time. I had lost kind of really touch with uh, much of my athletic aspirations. Um, I was just trying to find my way. As at this time, you know, a nineteen year old kid, uh, and so moved back home and was uh, just working full time mm. and. Uh, yeah, ultimately, as we kind of get into it, I, uh, you know, after a, a while and a lot of contemplation uh, and, you know, by the grace of re-finding, uh, uh, rekindling the love, reconnecting with my wife, who at the time was uh, starting her master's, <laughs> um, ultimately, as she always has done, uh, re, you know, just kind of inspired me to... Uh, finish uh my uh you know college path that i had started on um as a first generation graduate in my family so oh cool so yeah i got got back with my wife uh and uh quit my job sold my fancy car that i'd saved my hormel money with 
and uh, sold everything I had and went back to school. Uh, wow. And uh, ultimately went back to school uh, based on a survey. My wife had uh, my wife graduated undergrad from uh, Iowa State University and um, worked in the academic career center. Gave me a... That's a good fit for somebody who's looking, <laughs> trying to figure out what they want to do, isn't it? <laughs> Gave me a, um, a career assessment of sorts. And that assessment said that uh, at, the, at the end of it that I should pursue a career in technology. So as foolish as it may be, I, uh, you know, I let a survey dictate me uh, uh, you know, picking my major at the University of Dubuque, where I ultimately graduated and and that's what brought me to Des Moines in 2014. Oh, so, wow. long so what story. was it? That is long. But uh, it's not long. Yeah, it's your yeah. whole life, man. Um, what was the degree in? Uh, computer information systems. Mm-hmm. Uh, minored in business. Um, but uh, uh, yeah, was hired by a, a consulting company here in Des Moines uh, to start my career in technology consulting. Was that a better move than broadcasting? <laughs> Says um, the guy who makes $25 yes. <laughs> every five months yeah. in, uh, with his podcast. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, yeah, I had some friends, actually. My roommate, my college roommate, uh, graduated with a degree in, uh, I think, uh, electronic media is the, the name mm-hmm. of the major at UNI, uh, the same major that I had started out in. Um, and ultimately, he moved on to... Um, I think maybe more lucrative. Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. <laughs> Journalism's hard. Yeah, Journalism no, is, is super hard. For sure, for sure. Yep. Um, well, that's kind of cool. So you were a runner for a bit in college, obviously in high school, state qualifier. Yeah, yeah. Ran at the Drake. Do uh, you run at Drake Relays or just state track meet? Um, now, I, I think I ran it both. Oh, but, nice. Um, I'm I, getting I, old. My memories. That's not atypical for sure. I mean, if you qualify for Drake... You yeah, usually yeah, yeah. qualify for state, yeah, and if I you're good I enough to both. go to state, you're typically good enough to make the Drake cutoff. But, I think I did both. Um, yeah, that doesn't surprise you. So you're a good runner, ran at UNI a bit. How'd you find that again? Or was it running that you got back involved with on the athletic side? Running brought me it back. It was running. Yeah, running's always brought me back. Um, and my wife uh, has a—she's <laughs> never been, like, the most— talented runner but her consistency and discipline uh has been like the most common trait in her athletic uh career i guess my wife didn't run in college she she pursued uh, uh an opportunity at division three she ultimately did not uh take advantage of that but you know she went to iowa state as i mentioned but you know it wasn't good enough to run division one necessarily um but kept running i mean she Marathons. Uh, I don't know how many marathons my wife has run at this point. Maybe, I mean, definitely double digits. Maybe like 30, 40 halves or something crazy. So she's always um, subconsciously, I think, um, you know, motivated me to always find my like athletic identity, which is which is truly like my best self. So... Although I had fallen out of love for a bit uh, with uh, running and really athletics altogether, um, again, you know, kind of getting back with my now wife inspired me to get back in running and running and then now fast forward uh, into cycling. How deep did you take running? Like 
did you follow the marathon, half marathon route, or were you like 5K, 10K guy? No, I mean, always 5, 5K and less. I was mm. more, I'm more of a track athlete, or was more of a track athlete. Uh, I actually had a, a coach, uh, a cross-country coach, um, who unfortunately passed. Uh, uh, Jim Bowden uh, was uh, definitely a role model of mine in uh, Dubuque. Uh, but, uh, this guy begged me to go out for cross country for, I think like three years and I wanted to play football with my friends because, you know, play football in Chicago. It's just what you do. You play football. And, uh, he told me routinely, you're too small. <laughs> you should go out for cross country. And I was kind of good at, uh, I was okay at track. Okay. And finally, I finally quit football my junior year and gave in to coach Bowden. And I went out for cross country, and uh, kind of the rest is history. I, I, you know, ended up making state and um, really being a pretty decent middle distance athlete uh, because of Coach Belton. So, yeah, I don't, I've always been more of a five k top end. Yeah, more yeah. four hundred to eight hundred is my favorite race. I ran the four hundred hurdles. <sighs> I, I love that um, more than the marathon and half. That was always my wife long distance bored me huh uh i guess that makes sense what you're doing on a bike but yeah. it, it, i'm finding it interesting how much we have in common you and i um my wife uh, like discipline and consistency define her and uh i went out for football but it only took me one day to figure out that I needed to go run cross country. Mm. <laughs> Went out for football one day. I had no idea what they were talking about. And going into the locker room, my friends like, I heard the cross country teams looking for people. I'm like, we're in. Yeah. Took me one day, not three years, but. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, as I'm sure we we may uh, kind of get into, I think, um, you know, obviously like cycling, right? Like uh, cross is a super white sport. I uh, definitely think um, um, Coach Bowden, you know, obviously inspired me to get into the sport, uh, which I still love today. I've run, I don't know how many marathons and halves at this point because of my wife, but I think it would have helped nudge me into that identity a lot sooner uh, and thus making me a better athlete. Uh, potentially, if there were kind of other athletes that looked like me in my area, you know, there was... I mean, I, I genuinely don't recall anybody black, African, anything in the area running cross country. In Northeast in, Iowa? In or anywhere Iowa? In 2005 or whatever. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. You know, I, one of the questions I have kind of once we get into cycling, but yeah. I'm going to ask that now, like, as you got into cycling, like, are there any black dudes you look up to? Do you have any role models that look like you? Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, you know, cycling is, uh, so I, I guess I should say, like, I've been cycling for almost, since I moved to Des Moines, 2014, I actually organized a um, uh, a community event, I guess, or a fundraiser, I'm sorry, a fundraiser for my previous firm, uh, the Tour de Cure, which was a, oh, sure, a, a diabetes uh, uh, related event. 
that I organized and and had been riding with some of uh, the older gentlemen, old uh, partners in that in my last firm. So I've been riding in the area for about ten years, and I didn't really maybe eight years, but I never really knew that uh, sort of amateur people rode as much. I don't know. I don't know much about the sport. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe like a lot of other. Uh, potentially black people, I guess. I, you know, I kind of got into it, me, myself, personally, from, like, the California scene. The Corey Williams of the world, the Justin Williams of the world. Um, yeah, I wondered if they were role models, if you looked up yeah, to them, yeah, if you yeah. knew about them. Because, yeah. they obviously, they don't race here. I haven't seen exactly. them in Des Moines ever. No. They're not leading group rides here. So <laughs> no, no, no. You'd have to search to find those guys when, when you live in Iowa, when you live in Des Moines, you know. Right, right. Um, but if you're in the sport, then, I mean, Nation's number one beast, I think, is his Instagram right, handle. Right, so right. If you're in the sport, you're going you're gonna to land on them. But, but I wondered if, if that was an influence for you. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, without a doubt, obviously, like, uh, uh, I'm I'm a millennial, like a lot of others, you know, influenced by social media. And obviously, for a sport that, um, you know, historically, at least in my life, has not really been kind of close to me. Like, I don't, I didn't, there, cycling is not a huge community in Dubuque, at least when I grew up there. Certainly not on the south side of Chicago. Uh, I don't remember growing up by bike trails. Um, and so slowly getting more into cycling, uh, yeah, I found, uh, you know, folks who look like me, not just Corey and Justin, but a bunch of other folks uh, on the coast, uh, both, you know, uh, very serious cyclists like those guys, or at least, you know, domestically, and then like amateur people that I, um, that really just inspired me to, um, you know, push forward uh, in my own, my own skin, obviously, even though it uh, is a bit, uh, it's a, it's a pretty white sport. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I'm trying to imagine, and, and knowing that you did things like Tour de Cure and helped put yeah. that together, like you're, um, kind of immersing yourself in the cycling world. Des Moines is a, a not, I mean, I don't know if there's, there's a competitive side to the cycling in Des Moines, but there's a huge recreational side. Right, right. We've got great trails. There's like everybody freaking trains for Ragbri. Mm-hmm. Um, the bar to bar scene is huge. The yeah. bagger scene is huge. Um, and it sounds like you were kind of in that world. And like, how did you <laughs> cross over? into uh, getting a race bike and, yeah, yeah, and more showing up on uh, the five five one five ride or the REI ride. Like, how'd you, what made you want to cross over into the competitive side? Yeah, probably um, as I rode my bike a bit more, uh, well, first, I guess, even socially, I've been riding Des Moines for a while, but even some of my, uh, former uh, social bike group friends can tell you that I, I was probably always the guy that was like off the front you know even with a couple beers like I'd like to go fast and um you know even as a an athlete maybe that didn't quite uh you know get to to live up to many of the aspirations I had uh, certainly in my running career uh it doesn't take much for me to kind of uh get that itch again uh to just I enjoy, um, you know, digging deep and seeing what the kind of the best version of me is athletically. So when I discovered the 
more competitive side of cycling in Des Moines, which really honestly happened last year. I was kind of hooked. Um, and then this year, even more so and joining a team, uh, really hooked. Uh, and maybe it's just me trying to kind of, um, you know, re reclaim some things that, you know, never were, <laughs> was in my previous life, but, um, I just enjoy, um, I'm a competitor at heart, I think. And, um, I just, uh, I enjoy learning even though it is brutally, brutally, like it's very painful, um, to learn. And, um, so yeah, I, I've been racing. I don't know how many, that's almost 40 years, man. 1985, I did my first race in the fall. I think I did a, some kind of like mountain cross race, maybe in 84. So almost 40 years. <laughs> that's crazy. Um, and it's still painful yeah. to learn, still painful to ride, yeah, still painful to, it's difficult. to uh, try and hang with the kids, I guess. Try and hang with my wife. Holy moly. Yeah. She beat me fair and square on Saturday, by the way. We started together in the same field, same, like, yeah. it was uh, straight up, like, first one across the line is the winner of the Mabel household. Yeah. Here's my question to her. This is total sidebar. So did you have to wait long at the finish line? <laughs> She's like, well, I did ask if, like, you were still out there or if you had, like, quit on the last lap. I was like, oh, all right. Um, so, yeah, she waited for me for a while. Anyway, um, so, yes, it, it can still be painful. Uh, as long as you're trying, like, if you're trying to, to learn and push your envelope, then it should be painful, right? Yeah. Yeah, I don't I don't know who got me into the bike groups. That really helped elevate go, go you know, make that transition from like social rider to more competitive. Well, that is a big deal, especially on the road. Like riding yeah. in a group is necessity. Right, right. Do you remember your first group ride like in that crowd like the you know, one of the yes. competitive yes. you do. Um not more competitive, but my first group rides um were pre-pandemic uh and it was the monday night no drop ride oh cool um, that meets in the like waterworks pavilion yep um and uh met some really nice people uh again at the time i kind of thought that that was you know sort of the scene right like i didn't i didn't know it got more competitive than that but um yeah monday night uh is where i started was it I know if I walk into something I'm unfamiliar with or don't know, like I'll say a bowling alley. Like yeah, yeah. I'm intimidated walking into a bowling alley because right. I don't know what to do. Like what shoes do I need? What kind of ball do I need? I don't know any of that stuff. And I'm intimidated. Was it intimidating for you to like show up to that Monday night drill, no drop ride the first time? Um, yeah, every, <laughs> I think, um, um, Especially, obviously, as it, like, pertains to, you know, being an outsider, I guess, uh, or minority, uh, certainly. Uh, I've just become so accustomed to the feeling of, um, uh, you know, the butterflies that come with uh, being uncomfortable that, uh, you know, I honestly don't necessarily even remember... You know, it, it doesn't stand out as a memory uh, 
unlike any anything else, starting high school in a predominantly white school or... So showing up to your first pure white group yeah, ride was yeah. no more traumatic than going out for the yeah, um, Dubuque, yeah. whatever team. Whatever, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, like, it just, I've, uh, I've always been in... Um, uh, I've always been an outlier in, in many of my interests, certainly. Um, uh, you know, I it, it just sort of is, I, I've come to accept, um, you know, with all of the things. <laughs> so how, how are you retreat? How are you treated? How are you received? Um, I think um, I don't have anything, you know, there's always... Um, one-off experiences. I think the most difficult thing, of course, uh, certainly in being an outsider of any kind, right? Not necessarily, uh, you know, the black minority, but maybe a Spanish speaking or whatever, whatever it may be. Um, I think the most difficult thing, of course, is to not allow uh, certain experiences to cloud judgment over the, the group, right? There is, um, you know, a, uh, maybe a tinge of uh, at times of uh, what some may perceive as like soft bigotry, right? Uh, as an example, uh, I was recently uh, in uh, Wisconsin, as you know, riding Horrible Hilly. Oh, right. And on one of the Alps, uh, you know, halfway through, some guy's like screaming at me. Uh, and I think his exact words were something like, are, are you Corey Williams or something? And of course that's, you know, either uh, a really bad joke uh, or it's the equivalent of, you know, when I used to golf some, some, you know, jackass yelling that I'm Tiger Woods or something. Right. So like, um, just because you're black, you're Tiger Woods. Right. right, right. So there's two sides of that coin. Of course, you know, you could, uh, take every, you know, maybe uh, unfunny joke as the most uh, heinous thing you've ever heard. Uh, or you can just take it for face value that, you know, regardless of the intention, you know, whatever. <laughs> there are worse people to be. Exactly. Uh, compared to or whatever. Yeah, I mean, Corey does quite well for himself. For sure. And I'm, you know, as a lowly Cat 4, I <laughs> definitely will just, uh, I'll, take, I'll take the compliment in stride, I guess. He did have a good sprint in the, was that the Cat 4? Cat Because you did yeah. Cat 4, 5, and then you did Cat yes, 4. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, you went off the front in the Cat 4, 5 for a bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That yeah, was nice. it was fun. I'm still learning uh, the tactics of cycling. Well, call Corey and say, hey, dude, like, oh, what do man. I do different? Oh, uh, <laughs> that'd be kind of fun. They should come here and do it. I would love to learn. I think, there, I think um, especially as an outsider, I think... Um, Especially, you, you mentioned like intimidation. I think the most intimidating part, especially about cycling, uh, especially about cycling as a minority getting into it, um, I think it's cycling is can have a tinge of like uh, pretentiousness, I suppose. We, you know, we ride expensive uh, <laughs> vehicles and have expensive clothing and you know, and and we're all people at the end of the day, right? So like, you kind of have to form relationships with maybe people you would naturally otherwise, perf- you know, have relationships with. Um, it just can be a bit difficult um, as a straight up newbie. You know, I don't know how to draft. I don't know how to do anything. That's probably the most intimidating. Is like, 
the patience of of the folks that that you arrive with and whether or not they will be <clears throat> i think gracious enough uh to truly teach you um yeah that's 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 the thing that i've struggled with you hit the nail on the head when you said pretentious because even i mean walking into the meteor and everyone there's got their skinny leg jeans and they rode their fixie into town and and then they're meeting for a group ride and it's like do i belong here like i'm and i'm an old dude and and (laughs) i do still shave my legs but uh the only reason i take out my license is so i can shave my legs but um but still, it's like, I don't know if I belong with this crowd in Austin, right. Texas, showing up for the group ride. Is this a bunch of freaking pros, cat ones, and I'm going to get dropped leaving the parking lot? They, right. You know, am I getting laughed at? Yeah. And, and I've been racing a long time, and I 100% get that pretentiousness. But once you break through that, people see that we're all just human, and, you know, that dude has scars and I have scars and that dude has shining points and I have shining points right. and we have something in common we have stuff we don't have in common and uh, somewhere we find the, the ground but I like I like how you said are people on the group ride going to be gracious enough to help me understand how this pace line works help me understand what wheel to jump on help me understand to freaking bend my elbows yeah 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 how to how to properly pull how to there's so so many nuances in this sport um uh, and and that paired with i think uh to the credit of uh you know folks that are are trying to teach it is a bit of high stakes right like uh People can get hurt, right? I was involved, unfortunately, in the crash this weekend. And, like, it, um, you, you certainly understand the level of danger that is inherent, especially in, obviously, road cycling, when you're taking corners at, you know, 25, 30 miles an hour. And um, there, there is a lot of nuance for a beginner to learn. Um, so it just can be a lot. Um, and then culturally, I'm new to the sport, but I've always already kind of started to sense that road cycling culture is a bit different from gravel is a bit different from cross is a bit different from fix so like i've only ever ridden a road bike i only know that world of road Mm -hmm. cycling so like you know i I guess i I suppose i have to kind of make my way around to different disciplines um as you wish you know everybody has their their favorites i i love the road and i love mountain biking I like gravel. I like cross. Right. But I love road and I love gravel. Yeah. Um, so I've, I'm curious, like, have you ever not felt safe? Uh, like on my bike, just in general? On your bike or, I don't know. I mean, help me understand <laughs> no. living in Des Moines as a black dude. Oh, yeah. Oh, I mean, uh, on a bike, no, I've not uh, felt a, a sense of like, um, you know, heightened, um, you know, uh, heightened level of being unsafe, I guess, relative to my peers. I think just cycling in general is <laughs> inherently a little sketch at times. I'm thankful to be in Des Moines because it is more culturally, um, I think, uh, uh, 
cycle friendly versus like uh, I think Dubuque is not it's not a lot of trails uh, and when people see you on the road they're not super gracious <laughs> they, they they want you to ride on the sidewalk um, outside of that I think just ex- like my experience in Des Moines um, has certainly been like a, a bit different a little different than my experience in Dubuque initially um, Dubuque is a, a different place I think culturally speaking um, I think largely like the kind of socioeconomics of the demographic uh, in Dubuque is a bit different than, and what I mean by that I guess is like um, there is a already relatively tiny uh, black population in Dubuque and then uh, you know furthermore that population of black people in that city are overwhelmingly uh, on the lower lower middle class uh, uh, end of the kind of you know socioeconomic uh, um, range, I guess. Working class. There's a lot of <laughs> um, yeah, like the Hormel plan. Yeah, uh, but even I think lower like. Um, I feel like the town, Dubuque is, is super segregated in my estimation. Mm. Uh, black population almost exclusively lives in like one portion of the town. Um, and so my experience, uh, which I know is, is different now, I haven't been in Dubuque in a decade, um, is that um, it at times felt a bit, uh, you know, us them mm-hmm. right when you when you have such a drastic divide um that's like pretty obvious yeah you know? like it just can be uh that paired with like actual experiences um uh, in high school like you know again of of um just ignorant people uh can it probably clouded by judgment um of, of dubuque a bit i think Versus when I moved to Des Moines, it felt very much like um, a little bit of a fresh start. Uh, obviously, I was coming here under different pretenses as a young adult with a uh, a career. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, I think uh, I don't believe. And again, as I say this, I'm I'm probably thinking about factually. It may not be true, but Des Moines doesn't feel as segregated as Dubuque. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Feels like I've I've met affluent black people who live in West Des Moines, mm-hmm. or, you know, who live on the South Side. But there's obviously the South Side is not like you know. There's very affluent pockets. <laughs> for sure, <laughs> like, for sure. You know, like so. I just it's just a different. It's it's different. Yeah. Huh. That's interesting. You know, I I wonder. We had a race weekend last weekend, mm-hmm. and on Sunday, two other black dudes showed up. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. One from Omaha, or Lincoln. One from Texas. Saint, Texas. Nope, nope, I got contact. You know, Dallas. Oh, Texas. you did. Oh, wow. Dallas, Dallas Texas, Texas, and um, Nebraska. Yeah. Yep. Um, <clears throat> what's it like to you when you see a couple black guys show up oh, in the, and they're pinning numbers on? Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, uh, probably only awkward for, you know, my white peers that I'm this excited to see 
somebody else that looks like me. But again, I just, um, as I've always joked with many of my friends, my wife included, um, you know, the, the world just looks so much different uh, when, when it, uh, when you're a minority, obviously, right? Like, it's very, it's not often that my wife is a minority in a, in a situation, maybe when we go to uh, family events or something. And, and it's noticeable, it's a different feeling. So um, going to, you know, races in town or just seeing, uh, you know, representation, I think is always, always to me a welcome sight. Um, but not necessarily because, um, you know, it's not like we rode together, right? right? Those other gentlemen are way older than me. But watch it, watch it. One of them was in my race, and he had quads like this. Man, he was a sprinter for sure. But I just that dude, I hung on his wheel for all I had. It's just it's it's purely for me the like representation, right? Going back to kind of the arg the um, article you 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 cited off the top, like um, my dad and now myself as you know as a father of a four year old and an uncle to three. Uh, and a godfather to one, like I, you know, my dad very much stressed um, these sort of um, uh, nonsensical tropes and um, wanted to really break um, the break the cycle when it comes to to many aspects of of what many may perceive black life to be. I mean, I, I grew up camping uh, at. Uh, Jellystone. Oh, no Yogi, Yogi Bear Park. Yeah, I remember that place. Um, you know, I grew up doing everything. I think my dad, like, intentionally uh, sought to put me in positions that, quote, unquote, you know, black people didn't do. Hmm. Uh, and even when I heard that, it kind of made me want to do it more, you know. Have you had tofu? Um, yeah, I was vegan for actually oh. like the last month or so, my wife and I. That were. article is out of date. It is. Um, <laughs> I will say my digestive system can only tolerate, you know, about one vegan meal or one tofu meal because I cannot, I give awful gas. So I'm might, pretty, might be some truth to. <laughs> I'm pretty okay not having tofu. <laughs> it's not, it's that, no good. It should say. All people do not eat tofu, but whatever. I'm no yeah. knock, no knock. Yeah. I just do not like it. But yeah, I, I vehemently reject, you know, this notion that uh, we don't do certain yeah. things. That I, 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 I think she does too. That was yeah. the whole point oh, of her yeah. article. Right, right, right. It was like, yeah, we're here, we're here. Yeah, yeah. Um, so do you think the cycling community would benefit uh, with more diversity? And I say that we've got a pretty. Like the Latino cycling group is monster and passionate. My favorite thing all weekend was going up that killer climb at the end of the hill. And all these dudes, Luis and, and Alejandro, Jose, were all, and their families were all at the top of that hill screaming their lungs out. Right. Putting their hands out. I was high-fiving them, even though I couldn't see anything. Um, it was awesome. So th those dudes are doing a great job. It's it's awesome. Bringing diversity into uh, into our cycling community. But, um, you know, there's not a lot of black dudes. Do you think it would benefit to be more diverse in our community? Yeah, I mean, as much as I was excited to see, you know, uh, two black uh, visitors come up for uh, the Mayberry Crit, um, I do feel 
that same sort of sensation by like Team Presto and mm-hmm. other mm-hmm. because again it just anything that deviates outside of the, sort of the norm right uh, you know no offense but like you know it's pretty normal just to see I guess white people and Subarus ride nice bicycles I, I don't think that really is all that earth shattering but Presto for instance um, I don't know it, it just it's good for the sport I think and I like to you know and it's no knock at my white peers I mean I love everybody out there they're all um, I've had really good um, interactions with literally everybody everybody's yeah. been like super welcoming um, but yeah it's also super nice to ride with um, many people on Presto uh, who I, and, and um, there are a couple other like um, Latino teams so yeah yeah, it's I mean, I, amazing. Yeah, I, I do, obviously, I wish there were more um, black cyclists for sure. But it's uh, um, how how do we encourage? There, there is an, an economic component to this sport that is unlike probably. Well, that's unlike other you know tangential sports. It's you, a lot cheaper to be a runner. You, you need like for sure fifty dollars <laughs> right. to be a good runner. Right, you can go to. Coles and buy a decent pair of Asics and go run. Yeah, for sure. So, like, I don't know how you bridge the gap of, like, some young kid on the north side or something of Des Moines. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's kind of interesting. And one of the reasons I ask is uh, my daughter taught at north side, eighth yeah. grade, seventh, eighth grade, um, Harding Middle School. And, uh, I think it's the same school Lolo Jones went to, junior high. Oh, really? Yeah. She came back and gave a whole bunch of shoes back to him a bunch of years ago, but uh, which was pretty cool. So I think she came back to her old junior high. But anyway, that's beside the point. Um, I went in and did a career day thing mm. because she needed a volunteer, and mm-hmm. I said yes. And I pulled – Justin Williams had done a – well, the Legion team had done a um, – kind of a where we came from thing, Justin and Corey Williams. And I showed it to him, and I'm like, you know, there there's a high school group here in Des Moines, mm-hmm. and there's a bicycle collective that takes donated bikes, and they'll get you on a bike, and the high school team will get you in a kit and teach you how to ride. Right. So they're trying to break that that socioeconomic mold, right? right, right. You don't have to have a $10,000 bike and a... $250 pair of shoes and yeah. $250 helmet. Like, we'll outfit you and teach you how to do it, which is super cool. But if you went in that classroom, you had a group of eighth graders for an hour and talk about cycling, what would you say to them? Um, Get a pair of track shoes or... <laughs> I mean, I definitely was stressed uh, initially, like, just... Um, how amazing like the community has been um or how just like camaraderie and sport in general uh is extremely impactful in the lives of almost i mean everybody who belongs to it right like as as members of this community it like you know these people become a part of sort of your like extended family you know you can't go somewhere without seeing them they become like an extension of your network um, and uh, much like uh, some of the career stuff that I've done, because I also uh, am a, a black technologist, uh, I work for you know 
very large uh, technology company, and there's not you know that many of us in that realm as well. Um, so I just I try to stress the um, the importance of community network, uh, and you certainly get that with with cycling, right? There's a lot of good folks, uh, both personally and professionally. So I would tell them that not everything's a business transaction, but like there's good people in the cycling community um, that that they you know may benefit from um, knowing, uh, and it's a good workout and health is wealth. And um, it's a true statement. One day you'll be thankful that you bike. Um, yeah, it's it's a certainly something you can take with you forever, right? Mm-hmm. It's not like. Some other sports where maybe you can only do it for football. You got to have. I mean, there's a lot of infrastructure you need to play football, right? And then a you're pretty much and, done yeah. after certainly after a certain age. It's, you can't. There's no senior football leagues for at all. Yeah, retired folks. Pickleball maybe. Football no. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, yeah. It's just um, so yeah. I just would. And then of course, me myself for selfish reasons, I would say. There's a lot of opportunity uh, in this sport um, that, like, we don't know how many athletes we could have, you know, uh, on the global stage, you know, in in the think big uh, way. But, like, that are, you know, kids on the south side of Chicago or on the north side of Des Moines. We have no idea because they aren't in the sport. Right. So, like... You know, the next Nelson Bales could be going to North High. I mean, yeah, and and you you literally don't know if you know if you don't get on a bike and start to learn from somebody how far you can go. I think that's uh, I don't have any evidence, but I certainly feel like the community out west, uh, well, I, in general across the country, it feels like the black community in cycling is growing uh, and has grown more than I ever knew it to be. Uh, and again, maybe I live in a, a bubble now because I follow so many black cyclists, but there's enough black cyclists to follow. So that's, <laughs> even that's like... That is cool. a fair statement. <laughs> yeah, that, uh, that's cool. That's that's actually super cool. One of the things I wonder is I'm as white as you get. I went to Johnston High School. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I, there was one black dude. His mom was white and his dad was black so um but that's the only kid in my high school right right and uh what like how can guys like me be more welcoming how what can we do to expand diversity in the cycling community because it's i mean there's a ton of guys just like me Mm. all over the country Austin, Texas, Boulder, Colorado, Madison, Wisconsin, yeah. name it. And, and it's, uh, you know, a bunch of 50-year-old white dudes who raced in college and still shave their legs, right? <laughs> I don't know because I don't, like I said, I, me, myself, uh, just thinking about my own journey, I was kind of like, as you kind of have to be a little bit in a position of a little bit of privilege that I could afford a bike and even get started, you know? I don't know, I, you know, not saying many of us don't have the means to, to jump in, but especially younger folks, younger than when I started at 24 with a career. Um, 
I really don't know. I think it starts more like, you know, the, uh, you know, high school, high school level. I think I try to model, right? Like, again, representation matters. Uh, you know, maybe to white America, you know, Corey Williams or Justin Williams or other black cyclists are just like cyclists. But like, uh, to me, they're sort of, <laughs> like, you know, uh, I emulate their, you know, swagger on the bike. I enjoy that sort of flair. Um, it, it keeps me um, there. I like I like following them and they've they've got me into the sport. I watch the Tour de France now because of uh, Justin and Corey. So um, I don't know. I think, um, you know, probably I would say. As my professor, my technology professor used to say about uh, technology, right? Rule number one is don't be a dick. So I think, I think the nice thing, um, that, or the thing that anybody could do is just sort of be, I don't know, be themselves, be welcoming. Uh, again, I think for Des Moines, I mean, um, everybody's always been like super nice uh, and welcoming. Uh, I've met a lot of people, even though, like you mentioned previously, I can't remember half their names. I, I try to remember their bikes. <laughs> we know what bike they're riding. Yeah. Um, it, it's obviously easier for them than it is for me <laughs> to remember all these names. Um, but that, and I think, like, humility. Like, you weren't, obviously, um, I think, to your credit, like, sort of unafraid of, like, these sort of very obvious conversations. I think... Ultim uh, oftentimes, some these conversations can be like a bit combative. I think from like maybe the point of view of like uh, a cyclist who may be, I guess, triggered uh, by hearing the that uh, there's not that many black cyclists, or or you look like Corey Williams, yeah, yeah, yeah. or things like that, or yeah, like the I, I think um, those things. Just just being open minded and um, and. Uh, yeah, like I mentioned, uh, having learned slowly but surely from folks, being like open and willing to share information because I also am learning the more competitive I get. There are a lot of like uh, sort of unwritten things about cycling that I don't know that you can experience um, by yourself. So I think being open with the knowledge that you do have uh, is imperative, again, because, like, uh, I'm literally super new. I just learned what type of crank set I have. <laughs> like, I didn't, I didn't even know what that, you know, I'm, I, I just bike. I don't know. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know the uh, different type of climbing uh, config versus, uh, you know, a sprinting config. And, and it appears that I am not properly equipped for sprints. So I'm going to address <laughs> that uh, quite I, soon. I'm sure that there's some gears on there that would you'd be able to turn over the gears. and. I hope so. I'm riding the 50 right now, 5039 in the front. Well, what's in the back? Or 5032 in the front. Uh, what am I? I'm riding a 11 speed. What is in the back? I don't know. You probably got an 11 on there, and that 5011 is probably, I don't know if it's the exact same. I think 5010 is the same as a 5312. Oh, really? I don't know. I, I was given that lesson. I grew up on a 5342 front and then a 1117 on the back. Dude, did you see the quads? Come on, give me credit. 
I do um, need to find some better sprint. I'm losing sprints, so that shouldn't be losing. Yeah, don't, yeah. It, I'm it, running out of gears. It's, it's both a skill. <laughs> it's a skill, and, I mean, there's, like, muscles involved as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. Like, you got to be strong to, right, right. to power around stuff. But, anyway, you just keep working on it. Keep so I want to ask before we wrap up, you got a kid. How yes. old is he? Three, four? Four. Four years old. Do you, hope, um, do you hope he rides? Yeah, I have a, a four-year-old son, uh, biracial. Obviously, my wife is white, but... Um, that also, wasn't obvious. I can't see oh, her I'm here. Oh, I'm sorry, yes. <laughs> but yeah, a, if we a, look a on your Instagram, son, I think yes, we would yes. see that. Yep. yep. Um, as well as um, two black nephews. Um, as well as my wife, obviously, you know, I have another nephew, um, and, uh, I hope they all ride <laughs> personally. Cool. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I definitely really hope that, um, uh, my nephews all ride, um, and or run because, you know, I think it's in our, our genetics. I think we're quite decent, uh, endurance athletes, which, uh, you know, again, uh, kind of going back to, uh, you know, my high school coach. Uh, I would have never discovered that I had an endurance engine whatsoever uh, if not for a lunatic AP English, I think he taught, uh, coach stalking me uh, for like months outside of my locker. This crazy guy, he kind of was like Bill Nye the science guy and he just kept telling me how good I would be and I just kept saying, man, three miles sounds like I would, there's no shot that I'm going to do this. Yeah. So I hope to be that um, uh, light for yeah, my nephews and my son. I hope my son actually does triathlon is what I'm hoping. Really? His, his wife's, or my wife, or his mom is a good runner. His dad is an okay runner. Um, but I think he's got a, he's got an engine. So huh. I hope he, I hope he can find swimming earlier than I did. <laughs> as a kid on the south side of Chicago. <laughs> well, I will say, you're out in Waukee, and uh, the Waukee Y has a great... Try? Great swim team oh, for yeah. kids. Like, you can start them, shoot, this summer, this fall. There's... I'll, I'll, we'll talk offline, but... Uh, yeah, it could Yeah, get worse. them swimming. Our kids all swam, and it was awesome. Yeah. Loved swimming, loved running. Uh, our youngest ran, and, uh, and then they all go on rag ride, and we have a good time. So they kind of, they ride, not competitively, but that's quite all right. Um, yeah, that's cool. I hope they do. I wonder, as kind of as I um, was asking this, like, and based on what you're saying, like, if we go to Harding Junior High, yep. to that eighth grade class, and say, look, we got a bike. Here's the gear you need. Here's the opportunity to try and give them the opportunity, the, the equipment, and the, um, I don't want to just say training, but the um, knowledge, the just be in there for them to help them learn how to ride a bike, learn how to turn, learn how to do all that stuff, and then eventually in a group and all that. Mm-hmm. Like, there's the, that's what we can do as yeah, old white sure. dudes is get people bikes and get them on it, right? I mean, and the representation part, right? Like, and the representation that's the hard, part. That's, the, I think, the hardest part is um, oftentimes what isn't super obvious, I think, to maybe, I'll say communities. Me? Yeah, yeah. I'll politely say, that. say <laughs> you can communities say that. who are well-represented everywhere. 
is uh, dude, you are the diplomat. importance of uh, the importance of representation is not really like it's not something that you sort of have had to process, right? Because um, subconsciously, uh, you know, subconsciously, there's really no sort of um, maybe maybe subconscious sort of roadblocks that you've had to try to process, right? Like. There's been white presidents and white guys on the moon and right. white guys in in submarines. Right. And <laughs> we, we haven't had to seek representation right, for right. people that look like us, right, for right, role right, models that right. look like us, for sure. And so what you're saying is it's better for you to go in and say, look, we got some bikes, we got some kits, we got some, we're going to teach you how to do it, than me going into that classroom. Me going to that no. classroom that's like, uh, yeah, no, whatever, I think, dude. I think both. Right? Both, yeah. It's like ultimately... Um, a, I can't be everywhere, right? There's only so <laughs> right. many of us. And then, but like, um, there's also, you know, from the other vantage point, um, you know, from like uh, young black potential cyclists, there is a little bit of uh, like social intimidation, right? Like ultimately there are a lot of uh, youth um, or folks that would otherwise be intimidated, or I'm sorry, otherwise be um uh, interested in cycling that may be intimidated by not being able to sort of socialize with like a predominantly white audience. So like that's sort of uh, something that neither you or nor I, right, can can't really do much about. Right. I, I don't know. Right. Um, but that, that plays a part into it. Um, that, that's just factually speaking, you know. Yeah. Well, I think we can be intentionally welcoming and understand that for new kids to find this sport, A, they have to know about it. Exactly. <laughs> know it exists. And B, like, remove some of the barriers that exist for kind of everybody, which, like you said, it's, a, it's an expensive sport. I think we can put on more events. I like what Chris is doing. Um, I think that will attract more people to cycling than anything because uh, I, you know, kind of you build it and they will come. I think if there was a crit uh, or something on the north side of Des Moines or something where they could see uh, A, the sport, B, different people doing the sport, different shapes, sizes, creeds, etc., that in and itself, I think, would go a long way. Uh, because again, I, you know, my own story, I had never even, I just learned what a crit race was a year ago, two years ago, uh, or, or these different disciplines of bike racing or riding. Mm -hmm. So like, and it's because I, I, there are no, I would never be in the same space right. uh, as a Alfondo <laughs> or something, right. you know, right. like, so I think, yeah, how, how can we try to meet? those folks where they maybe are I don't, I don't know what that looks like but I think you just invented the Highland Park criterium yeah I think and and hey if, if we encourage uh, you know maybe uh, minority business owners to support the ride in some way whether it be food trucks or, or what have you that would obviously encourage a certain demographic to then spectate and then boom now we have uh, more people who uh can see the sport at a younger age and start to ask questions just like mm -hmm. I did. Like, yeah. 
what are these people doing? <laughs> right, right. You can do that? Yeah, what That's are you guys thing? doing? Yeah. I mean, I again, I didn't know. I I didn't ride in a group for the longest because I thought you had to have some sort of, like, license or something. I, I mean, yeah. there's no real flyers that are, like, come one, come all. I, yeah. mean. <laughs> I will never ask for your license to haul me back to the group. Like, <laughs> I will never do that, I promise. <laughs> all right, man, we've been rocking an hour. I, I 100% appreciate you uh, coming in, having this discussion, being open. Um, Thanks for being on Bike Talk with Dave, and I look forward to seeing you on the road. Absolutely. Thanks for tuning in today, and thanks tons to Jay for taking the time to chat with me about helping create a more inclusive and welcoming sport. I'd also like to thank him yet again for lending me his wheel and his consistent smile. Such a great dude, and I'm glad I've gotten to know him better. Now, I'd like to thank you also for tuning in today. And if you enjoyed today's show, I would love it if you would rate and review on your favorite podcast platform and give us a follow on Instagram and Facebook. When you do, it really helps the show's audience grow. Now, if you really love the show and you want to see it continue to grow, feel free to support it financially and just look for Bike Talk with Dave at buymeacoffee.com. When you do, I'd love to send you a Bike Talk with Dave sticker. I'd also like to thank BikeIowa.com for supporting the show. BikeIowa.com has one of the most extensive lists of cycling events anywhere. From mountain bike races to party rides, Bike Iowa has it all, including the Core 4. Now it's coming up quick. It's just a week and a half from when this episode drops. But on August 19th, I am planning on being there to tackle the gravel, the single track, and the pavement. And I would love to see you there as well. And if you did happen to miss this year, be sure to look for my post-race episode later in August. And then be sure and get signed up in 2024. Check it out. Are you looking for your next epic cycling adventure? We've got one for you this summer that challenges all the surface types. When the folks at Core 4 say, no surface untouched, they mean it. Champagne gravel, pavement, speedy single track, and all the level B roads. Core 4 doesn't stop at four surface types. They've got an ethos to get all bodies on bikes, and it comes through initiatives which support socioeconomic justice, gender equality, and bike advocacy. It's all about community, opportunity, recreation, and engagement at Core 4. Go early, bring the fam, they've got everything. Bikes, bevs, packet pickup party at Big Grove, live music, free camping, and finish line fun for all. Do not miss the No Surface Untouched action in Iowa City on Saturday, August 19th. 150 and 25 mile options. Follow along on Instagram at Core4Bike and get in the lineup. Core 4 is going to be a blast. And just a week later, I am stoked to head to Lincoln, Nebraska, where Dee and I will be sailing our tandem through the gravel seas in the 75-mile version of the Gravel Worlds. Remember, you can find Core 4, Gravel Worlds, and so many more events at bikeiowa.com. Also remember that you can find Bike Talk with Dave on Instagram, Facebook, 
and you can now stream every episode on biketalk.bike. And you can now listen on YouTube. I hope you have a great week, and remember that nothing compares to the simple pleasure of riding a bicycle.